Before I start, why don't we pray? We welcome your presence here, Lord. Come and brood over us. Come and minister your word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, very, very briefly, if you were here, I viewed some of last year's highlights. And I asked ourselves the question, am I more like Jesus than I was a year ago? Looking at the life of Jesus and encouragement of Paul's letters to the Romans and Corinthians, we talked about growing in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with others, which will build really strong foundations for each of us, for each one of us, whatever this year holds, and whatever it may be that we are facing. And the reality is, aside from the political and social upheaval we're all facing, aside from uncertainty and possible insecurity, that, we, that may lie ahead, many of us are facing really, really big challenges this year. Significant challenges in our health or in the health of loved ones, challenges in our families, with our parents who may be aging in poor health, or with our children as they work out how and where they fit in in a culture and a society with values we no longer either recognize or understand. Some of us are facing challenges in some of our relationships where alongside blessing and joy, there has been pain and conflict. Or maybe it's the challenge we're facing when it comes to trying to work out God's call on our lives, where he would have us live and work how he would have us live out the life he's called us to, how do we even do this thing called Christianity? And these challenges are incredibly real. And if you're in the midst of any or perhaps all of them, let me say that is very normal. But they are incredibly tiring, and actually it is really exhausting. Towards the end of last year, Neil and I honestly found ourselves what felt at times like neck deep with challenges. And it took up every last bit of us, all of our strength, just to keep on keeping on. And going through what were a number of us, for us at least not insignificant challenges, firstly, it brought us to our knees in prayer, and we cried out to God. Secondly, it took us to the scriptures, and we took comfort from the great men and women of faith who walked in our shoes. But it caused us to ask ourselves, what do we do when we find ourselves tired and exhausted and running on our own strength? What do we do when we find ourselves alone with God, but feeling exhausted and afraid? What do we do when we find ourselves wrestling with God for an answer and a blessing? 
when we find ourselves desperate for change to come, but equally desperate that it comes not from our own doing, not from our own doing, but from God's hand. So thankfully, so thankfully, the Bible, there is a whole lot of wisdom in this wonderful book of ours. And fortunately, it's quite near the beginning. Uh, let's look at the story of Genesis, of Jacob in Genesis. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis 32. And I'm, I'm going to read it out, a little bit of it. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, for this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, while this story, this story of Jacob, is incredibly familiar to all of us, we just need to go back a bit so we can understand what's actually happening here. So let's take a quick look at the story of Jacob. Abraham, as you know, was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was married to Rebekah, and there, who then got pregnant with twins. And when the babies were in the womb, the Bible says that they jostled each other, constantly fighting and warring in the womb. Not a great start, and certainly not much fun for Rebekah. And in this moment of confusion for Rebecca, the Lord speaks to her and says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Anyway, several months later, Rebecca gives birth, and Esau comes up first, but Jacob, still in the womb, grabs his brother's ankle. Anyway, as the boys grow, Isaac, their father, favors Esau. He was the oldest and extremely hairy, and the classic hunter-gatherer, what's not to love? Jacob, meanwhile, was more of a stay-at-home boy, and whilst his mother loved him, his father kept him pretty much at arm's length. So you've got all the makings of a pretty dysfunctional family. And for Jacob, at least, he grew up believing that his own father didn't think much of him. That it, wasn't, that it was his brother Esau who got all the attention. And all that comes back to Jacob later in life. 
Now you know, may know that the name of Jacob means deceiver, and names in the Bible are very important indicators of who we are and, and what we're like. And Jacob lived up to his name. He became a master deceiver, a master manipulator, and he became excellent at his craft. And it all really begins in Genesis 25. And Esau's been out hunting trip. As he's come back exhausted, he is so exhausted and famished that when his brother Jacob offers him food, if Esau will sell him his birthright as the oldest son, Esau says yes. Why did he do that? We'll never know. But in that moment, Esau gave away his inheritance and sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And this is where we start to see how Jacob deals with life, whether it's in his personality or upbringing, or his somewhat overbearing mother, or his disapproving father. Jacob words out that he wants something, he just needs to go and get it, no matter what. And from what we can see here, it looks like it works. His first major act of manipulation and control wins him something very valuable. Fast forward a few years, and by now the father is old and not long for this life. And we pick up the story from Genesis 27 and 28. Genesis 27 2. Isaac said, I am now old. I'm an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. I am blind and about to pass. Please can you make me a meal so I can bless you. And as most of you probably know, things don't quite turn out as Esau might have hoped. And once again, taking control of the situation, using deception and manipulation, and his mother's help, he tricks his father out of blessing Esau, the rightful recipient of the father's blessing. And instead, dressed head to toe in animal skins, Jacob steals his father's blessing like that. Genesis 27:41. Esau had a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning of my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so when Rebecca hears what Esau has in mind, she tells Jacob to run for his life and sends him to distant relatives where he shall be safe. And so Jacob packs up his things and goes, and meanwhile Esau waits, plotting his revenge. Deceptive, manipulative, controlling, out to get whatever he can by whatever means necessary. This is who Jacob is becoming. We don't really have time to go into it all here, but Jacob finds himself a wife by well, ends up spending too many years working for Laban, and then ends up falling out with Laban, and again manipulates and cheats his way into a fortune. And because he ends up with flocks and riches, bigger and worth more than his relative, the two fall out, and Jacob finds himself having to run again. And this is where we pick up the story, back to Genesis 32, and the point at which Jacob can run no more. Jacob can run no more. 
At the ripe age of 97, Jacob has been running for years, for years. Even in the womb, he was fighting and challenging. And now, having run from Laban, Jacob now discovers that his brother Esau has finally caught up with him. Genesis 32.6 Now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. In great fear and distress, Jacob is afraid. And do you know why? Because he has deceived everyone he's ever met. He manipulated his way through his whole life. He was considered the wealthiest man of his time. He built up a business like no other. But what we discover is that all the time Jacob's been using his wealth and his success as a front for his inner turmoil and chaos. On the outside, Jacob has it all. Inside, he's broken man. And so fearing for his life, with his brother and 400 men fast approaching over the hill, he begins to cry out to God. But rather, wait, but rather than waiting for the Lord to respond, Jacob does what he always has done. He takes matters into his own hands. And first he decides that he's going to take his wealth and family and splits it into two, putting one lot over here and one lot over there, so that if Esau attacks one group, then the other can escape. And then he comes up with another plan. He decides to bribe them with gifts to try and appease him in the hope that it will remedy the years of thievery and deception. And he, does, and he just plans on sending gifts. Jason comes up with a whole charade, and rather than sending everything at once, he plans it, it for maximum effect, bit by bit, so that it gives impression of never-ending wealth. And while we may want to think that this is all out of the goodness of his heart, what's really going on here is Jacob is relying on, not on the Lord, not on integrity and honesty, but on his wealth, on his position. An outward show of an exterior blessing, all the while covering up his internal brokenness. And Jacob is so broken, so dysfunctional, he even sends his wives, servants, and sons to go ahead of him, which very interestingly leaves him all alone. And at this moment in Genesis 32:24, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. There comes a point in each of our lives, no matter what's going on, no matter what we've got to, no matter how successful we appear to be, we do have to be alone with God. The question I think the Lord would have us ask ourselves this morning is, have we been alone with God? Have we wrestled with God? Jacob had to wrestle with God at some point. It took him 97 years to get there. And now literally, fearing for his life, completely terrified of what's happen, about to happen, having spent his entire life doing things on his own strength, he finds himself alone with God. 
He made mess after mess. And finally, he realizes that he can't move forward. He's got, no, he's got nowhere else to go but to get alone with God. I believe that every one of us has to be alone with God at some point. We have to allow God to introduce us to our true selves. We have to strip off all the armor. We have to come to that place where it's just you and him. Nothing else. No wealth, no status, no games, no plans, no strategies, no tactics. Just you and God. And what's interesting about this whole encounter is that Jacob refuses to let go until God has blessed him. Here's Jacob with the wealth of the world. He's been giving the blessing. blessing. He's stolen the birthright. On the face of it, he had everything you could ever want. But he knew he was missing the most important thing. And so he holds on until God blesses him. Have a look at verse 26. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. In this incredible moment, all alone with God, without the trappings, without the ability to control the situation, himself, God changes his name. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. In and through the encounter with God, of being alone with God, he is transformed from doing his own thing, his own way, to being a fully reliant on the Lord. One of the things that marks this encounter he has with God is that not only is his name changed, and therefore his whole approach to life changes, but his hip is dislocated, and as a result, he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. As you may know, John Wimber, who God used to start the vineyard, would often counsel, never trust a leader without a limp. The question I'm asking of you and me is, would we rather walk without a limp, all the while covering up our dysfunction, or is it worth getting a limp to be free? Jacob, Jacob wakes up the following morning as Israel. Not only does he realize that he's never going to walk the same again, literally and metaphorically, he knows that once he has met with God, once we have been alone with God in the secret place, everything changes. Everything. From the point From the point on, you do life completely different. And that is the truth. Back in September last year, 2018, 
we celebrated this church's 31st birthday. And it was Neil and I's 10th anniversary of leading this church. And those of you who were here in December, John and Debbie came and surprised us to celebrate our 10th years of leading this church. And we had a lovely morning. And they reminded us of all what the Lord is doing right now. And they reminded us of all what the Lord has done through this church year after year. All the churches that this church has planted under John and Ellie, under Neil and I. All the churches that we've planted who've in turn planted after the churches. Do you know how many people have been affected by this church's just being? It's, it's amazing. The Lord's hand been, has been at work and you are all part of that journey. And I feel like the Lord has had me on a journey. of looking back over the past 10 years so that we can go forward for the next 10. If you've been close to me or in the staff team, you would know that um, I have been saying the Lord's got me on a journey of looking back so I can go forward. Looking back so I can go forward for the next 10, which is a very, for me, a very good thing to be doing looking back of all the wonderful things that's gone on and looking back on the hardships. It all makes us who we are. That we might be thankful and grateful for all the Lord has done thus far. But, I, but that I am to intentionally, personally seek him even more than I've done. We have to make space to let the Lord speak to us. And I have felt the Lord say to me very clearly that the way I have led for the last 10 years has been fine up to this point, but it will not get me through the next 10. And then quite the same way, that I have to make changes, that I have to seek the Lord in a new way. I have to come back to full seeking the Lord in fullness to listen to God, to seek him with all my heart and to be like Mary and listen and to worship him with all my heart. It's time to reset. And I know that's going to take time. We have all things that we need to attend to and I felt the Lord has likened it to climbing Mount Everest. It's a hard climb. It takes months of preparation. The Desert Fathers would talk about silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, giving ourselves over to Scripture, but to see the view, to be closer to God, there's nothing like it. And as, at the same time as I'm going through my own journey, I am no, as a leader, I'm not alone. There's a calling back. There's calling back. The Lord is bringing about change and calling people to come and wait upon the Lord so he can renew our strength 
so that our confidence will be in the Lord. And even though from time to time we get it wrong, we will rise in confidence in the Lord and in the reliability of his word. There is a real cry from the heart about prayer. Churches and movements are giving themselves to fasting and praying to see the kingdom come. Churches and movements are giving themselves to fasting and praying in this season, in this year, in this moment, to see the kingdom come. Intentionally, being intentional, creating space for the Lord to speak. I feel like I have been, I feel like I am still wrestling with the Lord for his blessing to see the kingdom come as I know it will. I feel like Samuel in the temple saying, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Speak, Lord, we want to hear your voice. I feel like Mary just sitting, wanting to sit at his feet. Hearing him talking, telling us about things to come, how we're to go forward, how we are to lead, how we are to do every day. This is how we face our challenges. This is how we are to face the uncertainties of the future, getting alone with God. Getting alone with God. Meanwhile, back to Jacob. Now called Israel, who now knows he needs to go and meet his brother? Having spent the night wrestling with God, must be exhausted. He has to go out and face his greatest fear. As a man on the other side of the valley had every right to kill him, Esau had 400 men around him. And now instead of Jacob hiding behind his wealth and his strategies, Jacob goes out into the front to face his brother, Genesis 33, 3. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. This time he is not behind. This time he's up the front. He walks across the valley. He sees something on the other side of the valley, maybe a little dust. He sees a man running towards him, but Jacob sees that his sword is not unsheathed. He sees that his spear is not held high. And as the man gets closer, Jacob sees that the facial expression is not one of anger. There is no revenge or bitterness in his eyes. There is only joy. Talk about confusing for Jacob. 97 years of deception and manipulation, years of broken relationships and resentment, and now they're standing face to face. And Esau is smiling at him. Talk about a moment. And Jacob is stunned. As Esau runs the entire distance to embrace him and kiss him, just like the prodigal son, when the father runs to meet the son in the Old Testament moments, transformed by this encounter with God, changed by name, changed by nature, no longer a deceiver, no longer a manipulator, just a man given over to God. And whereas all the deceptions 
which while they brought him wealth and success, really only brought him anxiety and shame. Now his surrender, his vulnerability, his openness, his willingness brings restoration and reconciliation and joy. And so whatever challenges you may face this year, the question we'll have all have to determine is how are we going to approach? How are we going to approach them? Will we rely on the things that have got us to where we are today? Will we resort to our own devices, our own strategies, our own strength? Will we look to our successes and our wealth and our position? Or will we risk getting alone with God? Will we climb the mountain no matter how hard to meet with God and have our names and our lives forever changed? Let's just wait upon the Lord. Why don't you stand and I'll have the band back. Neil, why don't you come and join me?